0: in the book of Jonah. Now, if you don't know where Jonah is, there's a page in your Bible called the index. (laughs) It's up toward the front, and it will get you toward the back of the Old Testament. If you get to Obadiah, if you would turn the page, you will find Jonah hiding in there around Obadiah. Little guy hides behind a big guy. Uh, It's one of the minor prophets, not because he didn't have important things to say. It's minor because of the length of the book that he wrote. Now, the one thing I love about Jonah is he is not a TV preacher because he shares his bad side, warts and all. I mean, if I was going to write four chapters in the Bible and God let me do it, I would be arguing with God saying, can I just talk about the good parts of my life? This is his biographical sketch. He shows up on the scene, he disappears off the scene. But it is a twist and turn in chapters uh, 3 and 4. He's a prophet who's been running from God. He's been resisting the will of God. He's been told to go to the Assyrians, which is current-day Iraq and Iran, the Babylonian Empire as well. And they're bad people. I mean, they are wicked people. They skin children. I mean, it's, the, the stories about the Assyrians will make you sick. They are cruel. They are barbaric. They are brutal, and they are uncaring. And Jonah thinks he's got every good reason in the world not to go tell them about God. Just let them die in their sins. Let them die. They deserved it. After what they've done, they deserve to die in that condition. So let's look at the power of God to change lives, and let's pick up in first verse of chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, And Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation And it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way. And from the violence which is in his hand, who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God changes us, that's what he's done with Jonah, the reluctant prophet is now when the word comes a second time, he's going to do what God says. Listen, if I got swallowed by a fish and I was covered in seaweed, I'd probably do what God said. The next thing God said, I'd probably do it. So, when, But when God changes us, then he uses us to help others change. One of the things we need to understand, it's one thing to say you'll do what God says in the belly of a fish. It's another thing to do it when you get on dry ground. I mean, I've heard people, I've, I've been on airplanes with people with turbulence and they make promises to God if they could get safely on the ground and when they land, they have no intention of keeping it. I, I've, I've listened to people on hospital beds saying, Preacher, I want to tell you, if, if God gets me out of this, I'll be back in church and they are the first Sunday they can and then you don't see them anymore. It's easy to make promises to God when you want God to intervene and fix something in your life. It's another thing when things are going well. And when God delivers you and when you don't do what you promise God, which is why Ecclesiastes says you be careful what you vow to God because God holds you to your vows. You be careful what you tell God you will do. It's one thing in the belly of the fish. (laughs) If I ever get out of here, I'll go to Nineveh. I don't want to do this thing again. It's another thing when you get on dry ground and say, well, now that I'm on dry ground, I'm just going to go back home and shut the door and mind my own business and, and watch Jeopardy and Family Feud for the rest of my life and not do anything. Go to Nineveh, the great city. That's a specific assignment. It's a huge city. Three days to walk around it. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And he called them to repent, and he told them, you've got 40 days to get right with God. And if you don't, he's going to send judgment. Finally, Jonah was acting according to the will of God. Now, here's something we need to understand. The best place you can ever be is in the will of God. That does not always mean it's an easy place to be. It never means it's a soft place to be. But the best place you could ever be is in the will of God. We have one of the young ladies that was raised in this church. is in Africa right now. And she posted a, she posted a tweet uh, today. And she said, you know, what do you do when you're an introvert in a country where there are no introverts? She said, I just left four hours of church, Sunday school and church, four hours. I don't see anybody in this room that would be here four hours from now. Because we already decided we're either going to stay for connect groups or we're not. And we already know where we're going to eat. And if this service goes long, we'll just get up and leave. Four hours. You know what? She loves it. She loves being there. You know why? Because she's in the center of God's will. She's right where God wants her to be. She'll fly and meet us in Israel in a few weeks, and I'll get to hear stories for about 10 days of all that God is doing in the midst of her life because she's in the center of God's will. Why would guys... Our church planners leave the comfort of an established church and go to a community where they have no membership, where they have no budget, where they have no building, to find a place to rent, to find people that would join them in the vision and the mission. Why would the guys that we support in church planning leave comfort and security and go do that? Because they want to be in the center of the will of God. I, I, I've been here 30 years. Every now and then, somebody contacts me, hey, you ever thought about doing something else? Nope. I remember standing down here one Sunday when we were about three months into this building in a pulpit committee saying, God's told us that you're our next pastor. I said, I'm not your guy. They said, we've been here to hear you, and we've checked on you, and we like what you're doing, and God's told us you're our next pastor. And this, this church... Is exploding today. They got 5,000 people in their church today. And they said, God's told us you're the next guy. I said, I'm not your next guy. I said, but I'll tell you what, your next guy is going to be a guy that's seeking the Lord, and God's told him to go to you. God's not giving me another order. I'm acting under orders I got in 1989. And until God gives me further orders, for you military people, you understand what that means. You stand by standing orders. My order is to be here. I got friends of mine that say all the time to me, I can't believe you stay in Albany, Georgia. I can't believe you're in Albany, Georgia. That's it, nobody wants to be in Albany, Georgia. I said, I do. I do. Because I love this city. I don't like everything we do. There's some things, I wish we had a Houston's restaurant. We could have Revival if we just had a Houston's restaurant, if we had a PGA Superstore, if we we just had a golf shop. I mean, you know, but I love this. It's where God called me. And I have never one time, not even in the early days when there were people that would have been glad for me to go somewhere else. Some of them may still be here, but uh, (laughs) I never one time looked out on this congregation and thought, I wish I was somewhere else. Because I'm where God put me. You're where God put you, unless you're running from him. Unless you're running from him. You see, you got to have the faith to let God order your life, your steps and your stops. They believed God. They responded. They proved it in their repentance by fasting and by sackcloth. This move of God was so real and so strong that it impacted every area of society. I mean, it even got to the herds. That's not a family, that's the cattle and the other things. It got got to everybody, it touched everyone. Listen, we do not have to look far to realize we need that kind of move of God in our region. We need to walk our streets. We need to walk our neighborhoods. We need to drive this community and say, God, if you can do it in Nineveh, you can do it in Albany and in southwest Georgia. But if we're running from God, if we're resisting God, we'll never see it. When Jonah mentions that the king responded. It's a reminder that we are to pray for those in authority because Jonah preached and they put on sackcloth and ashes and they were praying. But when the king issued a decree, everybody knew it had gone all the way to the top. Even the king was impacted by this declaration. He knew that there was a God that could do it. And he bowed his head and they prayed. By the way, prayer and fasting are always a part. Of a move of God. That's what they do here. Look what happened. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds. That they had turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity. Which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. What if. What if. This year. Rather than running from what God wants us to do. We embraced what God wants us to do. What if instead of trying to figure out how little we can do to impact this community and the world, we think how big a thing can we do to impact this community and the world? All God needs is somebody. He'll take anybody. All he needs is an Abraham, a Noah, a Moses, a Joseph, a Nehemiah, a David, a Jonah, an Esther, a Peter, a Paul. Think about it. You could be the one... That is the catalyst of what God wants to do in this city. You could be the one. We can't change the world until we change the way we think. If we're going to look at where we live and where we are negatively, we will never change it. We just blend in with a squawk box crowd. But if we change the way we think, if we see this city the way God sees it, if we love this city and this region the way God loves it, if we care about people the way God does, then every pastor in every church and everyone, layman, ordained, whatever you want to label yourself, all of us would step up our game and do things differently. We need to seize the day because the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. We need to ask God to use us. God gave Jonah a second chance. He is the God of second chances. Jonah obeyed and fulfilled the obligation. I I feel sorry for the preacher. I feel sorry for the Christian. I feel sorry for the church that doesn't care enough to call people to higher ground to the heights of what God wants to do. The prophets called for repentance. John the Baptist called for it. Jesus called for it. There's no revival unless there's repentance. There's no revival unless there's a turning. The people repented and they believed and they gave up their wicked ways. Now, let's look at the problems of getting in our own way. Jonah's honest. I mean, he shows up, the city repents, and Jonah gets mad. Man, I preached and told people they needed to get saved and the altars got filled, we ran out of counselors. That just ticks me off. I mean, that's what Jonah did. I'm so mad that those people got their lives right with God. What am I going to gripe about at work tomorrow? I mean, my coworker who just cusses a blue streak got saved and now his life has changed. Now what am I going to talk about when I go to lunch with people? He took away all my griping. Jonah got ticked off. He had a spirit of resentment. He lost perspective. He wanted Israel to be right with God, but he didn't want them to repent. He forgot that Israel was to be a light to the nations. And he resented a genuine move of God. By the way, that has happened in every revival in history. There have been people inside of churches that have risen up against a move of God because it restructures the thinking of the church and it makes them disqualified to serve. And they get mad about it. Look at chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. And so the Lord, notice, the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort, and Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. You get that? He's ticked about 120,000 people getting saved, but he's happy about a plant. He must have been a tree hugger. Uh, <laughs> But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die. Man, this guy just wants to die. He shouldn't have asked to get out of the fish. Saying, death is better to me than life. And then God said to Jonah, I think somewhere in the unwritten text it says, you knucklehead. God said to Jonah, "'Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant?' And he said, "'I have good reason to be angry, even to death.' Then the Lord said, "'You had compassion on a plant for which you did not work "'and which you did not cause to grow.' which came up overnight and perished overnight, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals. Jonah had totally lost perspective. I don't care if these people get right with God, I don't care if these people get saved. I don't want to see them in heaven. I just assume they go to hell and spend eternity in hell. But I am so mad that God took my plant away. Enough that I want to die. Now listen. If a tree dies in your yard, do you lift your hands to God and say, God, my tree's gone. I just want to die. you got some serious problems. (laughs) You're like the woman that went to see the psychiatrist and she had a strip of bacon over each ear and a fried egg on the top of her head and the psychiatrist said, what can I help you with? She said, I'm here to talk about my brother. (laughs) I mean, you seriously lost perspective he's mad he says God I knew you were going to do this that's why I didn't want to go I didn't want them to be saved I didn't want you to give them grace I wanted you to give them mercy the whole city's turned around and I don't like it Jonah got mad he wanted them judged God poured out mercy Jonah didn't want them to have a chance God was gracious Jonah was angry God was slow to anger Jimmy Draper said he knew what would happen if he went to Nineveh because he knew, remember, he knew what kind of God he was. He's a God who's compassionate and slow to anger. Sometimes we paint God in the Old Testament as this mean God that's just ticked off at everybody. Jonah says, you're slow to anger. You're compassionate. You relent of calamity. He knew that if he preached there, they might repent, and God will spare them. You see, Jonah hated the Ninevites, the dreaded enemies of Israel. He did not want them saved. And so guess, guess how it ends. I mean, he, Jonah doesn't say now, I am so excited you've given your life to Jehovah. I am so, listen, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to get some members of my synagogue, and we're going to come back and disciple you. And show you how to grow in your faith so you can develop and you can, you can take the gospel to other people. You can take God's compassion to other people. You can move out of your capital city and go around your nation and share the gospel. I'm just going to get some people to help. I'm going to send for help. I'll stay here. I'll teach you. I'll help you to understand. I'll show you what kind of God he really is. Oh, no, he's just mad. He goes and sits out on a hill, he's mad. He gets a plant, he's happy. Plant dies, he's mad. He's just mad. Hmm. Ever met a mad Christian? You ever met one? We are always angriest when we are wrong. He got mad at God. We're always angriest when we are wrong. Jonah wanted a God like himself. Jonah didn't want a God that was big enough to love everybody. Jonah didn't want a God that was gracious enough to forgive a sin. He wanted a God who would deal harshly with his enemies. Jonah worshipped a small God because he was a small man. He didn't want the God of heaven and earth. He didn't want the God that could part the waters. He didn't want the God that could feed them in the wilderness. He wanted a God that would just mow them all down. He wanted a God of judgment. Here's our problem. We have convinced ourselves that it's hard for God to love a lost world but it was never hard for God to love me. Oh, I was easy to love. You know, I grew up in the church. Still cost God his son to love you. You know, I was in RAs and GAs and AA and every other thing. And I've been, I've, you know, I've, I was there every time the doors were open. Still God chose to love you. And he didn't love you because of what you did. He didn't love you because of your good works. There are people that are not Christians and don't have any claim to have a relationship with Christ that do good things. But that doesn't get them saved. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. You see, we, we have bought this lie That because we were born in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, that God loves us more than he loves the rest of the world. That's why we sit on our wallets. That's why we sit on our hands. And that's why we don't reach out to the people that are different than us because we think God loves us more than everybody else. That is not biblical Christianity. That may be American religious moralism but it's not the church. The church that sits on its hands quits being a church. It becomes a religious social club. It becomes a country club. The church that quits caring about lost people is not really acting like a church. Let me ask you something. What if God flooded the church With people that had a lot of baggage. Let's just be honest. Some of you might pray about leaving, but before you hit the exit and move your membership, let me remind you that your baggage put Jesus on the cross. And in the eyes of God, your baggage is no different than their baggage. Theirs may have more external evidence. You say, "Well, you know that that guy's a murderer." Yeah, but you've Jesus said if you've hated them, you've murdered them in your heart. Yeah, that guy's a, guy's an adulterer. Yeah, you've lusted after some women. Don't don't start down that road. Somebody bring up your problem. Yep. Listen, if we're going to make a difference in Albany, Georgia, we have to love people that have baggage. And they don't walk in the door of this church and all of a sudden the baggage is gone. They've spent a lifetime making bad decisions. It's going to take them a while to get up on their sanctification. And before you think about walking out the door and moving your letter and going somewhere where the preacher just tells you what you want to hear, just remember, you're behind on your sanctification too. Some of us have been sitting in church for decades. We don't spend time with God on a daily basis. We hadn't told any about, anybody about Jesus. We're not giving the way we know we're supposed to give. We've heard a million sermons that we're not doing anything about. So before we, I had a, guy, I had a preacher call me one day, he said, Michael said, I, man, I see what God's doing in your church, it's incredible. He said, but there's gonna come a point when some of your people are gonna say, we don't wanna go that far. He said, you just better get ready. Well, can I tell you something? If that happens, you just took on the spirit of Jonah. I'd rather they go to hell than come to my church. Can't we send them to another church? Can't we send them somewhere else? God knows the heart of Americans and English-speaking people, and so he created an alphabet with N and O together, so it's no. No, we can't. We have to say to this community, to this region, to any place we go and every place we go, God loves you. We don't want to just sit inside this church under the shade of an air-conditioned, heated building and nice... We don't want to just live out our faith here for an hour or two a week. We want to be the people that are on mission with God. Because prayer leads us to love God, to grow together, to serve others, and to change the world. If I'm not praying, I don't care about those things. I only care about me. I only care about me. But if I'm spending time with God, then God will put on my heart what's on his heart. As the great African-American preacher E.V. Hill said, if, if you're talking to God God's talking to you, he's talking to you about lost people. He's talking to you about lost people. Look at it. The prayer he prays is full of anger. There are ten personal pronouns in the first three verses of chapter 4. He's only concerned about himself. Basically, what Jonah said is, I would be fine to say to the God to his face, I'd rather die than those people come to Christ. He made himself God's advisor. Vance Havner said, we justify ourselves when we should judge ourselves ourselves. If we learned humility, it might spare us humiliation. God help us to be the people who say to our Heavenly Father, yes, the first time He tells us to do something not the second or the third. He's not having to chase us down to get us to do his will. But help us to be the people who say yes to God the first time. The first time. He tells us to do something. You know where Nineveh is? I'm not talking about geographically. I'm talking about for us. Nineveh starts on Whispering Pines. Its borders are Barnsdale and Doncaster and Acker. Anything that's not this property is Nineveh, which means neighborhoods, gated communities, apartment complexes, condos, people on the street. It means Leesburg, it means Smithville, it means Dawson, it means Terrell, it means Sylvester, It means wherever we reach, that's Nineveh. We have been planted in this world to go out into the world, to see people come out of the world so that they can go back into the world to tell people that they don't have to live just in this world. They can have hope in Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe that, I'd tear up my ordination papers today. Let's pray together. Where is it that God is telling you to go? What is it that God is telling you to do? Who is it that is your one that needs to know that God is a God of compassion, slow to anger? He's a loving, heavenly Father. He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're not going to sing along. We're going to stand. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus today. If you walked in this room and the devil's been lying to you and said you'll never be good enough, you'll never clean up enough, you'll never have enough, you'll never do enough, you can never find hope, you can never find peace, you can never find forgiveness, that's the devil talking, that's not God. God said, whosoever will may come. Yeah, but you don't know my my mess. You don't know my past. God does. And you ended up here in this room today so that you could hear good news that God loves you. Some of you just need to, where you are in your seat, draw a circle around yourself and admit, God, I've been more like Jonah than like Jesus. I've been resistant to what you want to do in and through my life. I've been more like Jonah than I've been like Jesus. And today I want to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. When I walk out of this place, I want to make a difference in this community, in this region for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Our men will be here at the end of the aisle. I'm going to ask you to step out if you need to trust Jesus today and give your heart to Christ today.